0: Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Let's begin our time together this morning by going to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for gathering us today, whether here or for those who are joining online wherever they may be. Father, we want to respond to you. We want to respond rightly to your word. We have sung a confession that we have set our hearts upon you. Lord, you are ultimately and supremely concerned with our the condition of our hearts. So Father, I pray that you will take your word and you will glorify yourself today, that you will use every act of service, every act of ministry to be a blessing to you and to be a blessing to others, Lord. Help us to come under the teaching of your word. Help us to understand what you have said, Jesus, and what you taught 2,000 years ago on this hillside and may we apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name and for His glory alone, we pray. Amen. We are beginning Matthew chapter 6 in our study on the Sermon on the Mount. I trust that you've received a, a worship guide where I would encourage you write down, take notes. And those are available online as well on our homepage, migracechurch.com, where you can find that. Uh, the small group study guide is there, even though our small groups will not be uh, meeting this week. It still provides the questions that whether husbands, wives, friends, make a FaceTime, or however you can connect and interact with the follow-up questions from this sermon, this sermon is so valuable in the life of a believer, a disciple. As we said a few weeks ago, when Matthew chapter 5 came to a close, it came to close at a pinnacle. The high point of Jesus sermon. When he says, Matthew 5, 48, you therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus was describing in Matthew chapter 5, the moral character of a disciple, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, their moral life. The disciple of the Lord Jesus lives radically different than the average citizen on planet earth. Now we're moving into chapter 6. Everything that was leading up to Matthew 5:48 is now working away from Matthew 5:48. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to be teaching about and we will be examining the religious character of a citizen of God's kingdom, a disciple of Jesus Christ, a genuine Christian. This is what we would understand as piety. More than dealing with what a disciple does, Jesus is getting to the heart. Why do you do what you do? Christianity, and when I talk about Christianity, I'm talking about true Christianity defined by Scripture. It is, always has been, and always will be about the heart. Religions that are not genuine Christianity work externally, trying to get in to change things inside. Christianity is the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside and changes everything from there out. Very different, radically different. There are only two religions in the world. Faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, repentance and faith, gospel, Christianity, and every other religion. Every other religion is Here's who we believe God is. This is what you need to do to make that God happy and you work out your salvation. Hopefully you do enough good. That's every other religion in the world. Works-based versus grace-based, gospel-based. Jesus is concerned with our hearts. Now we see this in the Old Testament. The prophet Samuel was sent out. Saul turned out to be a horrible leader. So God sent Samuel, go out to this house, Jesse's house, and you are going to anoint one of his sons to be the next king. And Jesse brings in all the the strapping young men, you know, the the broad guys, the tall guys, the bicep guys, all these older brothers. And as Samuel is moving through the line, the Lord's saying, no, 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 no. What? Jesse, you got any other sons? (laughs) Yeah i got one scrappy guy out in the field watching sheep call him. And the Lord graciously, patiently, lovingly teaches Samuel and us a lesson. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, But the Lord, Yahweh, said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but say it with me, but the Lord looks on the heart. The heart. So can I ask you the question today, how's your heart? Physically, that's important. How's your heart? Heart checkup. How's your heart spiritually? Beloved, God cares about our heart. He cares about our attitude. He cares about our motives. And He cares about our actions, our behavior. So in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at the first four verses today. Verse 1 is actually the introduction to this whole section. And then Jesus will begin to unpack three areas in this chapter. Matthew 6, follow along in your Bibles. Verse 1, beware. Watch out. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus addressed the deep underlying motives of His disciples here. As He's delivering this message, the Sermon on the Mount, he taught His disciples, and this is what we want to unpack today. My disciples, my people, my followers, reflect the Father's gracious heart in your giving. Reflecting is very different than doing something on your own. Reflecting is I have no glory of my own. I'm simply reflecting the glory of another. And so Jesus is supremely concerned that his disciples reflect the gracious, generous heart of the Father in heaven. And he begins to lay this out for us this morning. The first lesson that he gives is a warning. We must heed the warning from Jesus. He delivers this warning and the warning is simply this. Beware of doing good deeds to be seen by men. We're familiar with the term good deeds. You've, you've maybe said it or you've heard people say, well, that was my good deed for the day. You know, that, that, I, I've determined, you know, New Year, I'm going to do a good deed every day. Warning Beware of doing good deeds to be seen by men. Who hasn't struggled with this problem? I sure can't tell you, I haven't. This is a struggle. Throughout the past year, we've experienced the shutdown. Thirteen weeks, we did not meet together in this place. Thirteen weeks, (laughs) recording the sermon was generally me sitting here, Stephen in the back, and the Lord. (laughs) There was no interaction, there were no faces, there were no scowls, there were no smiles, there were no, no, no laughter, just occasionally a truck going by or a siren going off no immediate feedback. Our praise team would come in. They would record. There's no one singing. There's one camera, and it's all being compiled, sometimes at home. I don't know how you guys did that, you know, putting your kids in the back room, like, here, we'll see you in a little while. But it really filtered through, why do you do what we do? And then we've got to open back up a a year ago in June, and and there were some Sundays when having two services, there was very few people. There were times when it was time for the service to begin, and we're looking like, people know there's church today, right? Yeah, okay. I've I've said it jokingly to the ushers, you know, go ahead and let people come on in. And they're like, we did. Oh, okay. All right, well, we'll begin. But it filters through why do you do what you do? We believe and we confess that we do all that we do. It's our aim, it's our intention to do for the audience of one. And that's the Lord Almighty that we just sang about today. But when there's no one here, it really filters through. Is that really why you do what you do? Some questions for us about our discipleship, about doing what is right. The first question is this, am I serving the Lord? You have to ask that question, am I serving the Lord? Is there a place that his body, the church that Jesus died for, is being served by my hands, by my life? Do I exist to be served? Or do I exist for the glory of God to serve? Am I serving the Lord? to answer that question affirmatively and say, yes, I am serving the Lord in this way and that way, then here are the follow-up questions for that individual, for that disciple. Do I serve God for God or do I serve God for yours truly, me? Why do I do what I do? Is my ministry to be a blessing to God? Or is my ministry to be a blessing for me? How do I respond when the people that I'm serving or the people that I'm serving with do not meet my expectations? Is the place that I'm called to serve sometimes feel lonely, thankless, difficult, unrewarding if you if you serve in children's ministry it's probably yes 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 and yes not often do children after having their diaper changed thank you so much i'm so glad you're serving the lord today no usually they just cry not many times after you have labored over a lesson or you've prepared and and then the children they're like when's snack That was not the response that I was expecting after that marvelous lesson that I just taught you. When's my mom coming? No. Don't you know that God has given you me as your teacher? I mean, it filters through our motives. Why do we do what we do? Listen to Jesus' introduction again. Beware of practicing your righteousness Diaka yusune is the word, and it's the same word as in Matthew 5.20. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you have no shot of making heaven. That's a paraphrase. Now he's using this word with an emphasis, a different emphasis. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So we're talking about our religious public life, our piety, doing what is right, religious life, it's in the presence of the congregation and others. So Jesus is giving a warning and he's saying this to his disciples, listen carefully, saying, check your heart. Check your heart. What is your motivation for doing what you do? What is your motivation for doing good deeds, acts of righteousness? Watch out. There's danger here. I meant to get a beware of dog sign. You've seen those in yards, right? Beware of dog. And then out comes a, you know, barking little nothing. You're like, ah. But you didn't hear the other dog in the backyard. And then suddenly more basses in the bark. Oh, I'm out. You I can handle. That one back there, not not sure about that one. Beware, watch out, danger, enter at your own risk. There's danger, Jesus is saying, in doing good in public settings. Now I have a question, is Jesus contradicting himself here? Because if you were here when we went through Matthew five sixteen and he said, let your light so shine that men will see your good works. Let us shine before men, they will see your good works, and they will glorify your Father in heaven. And now he's saying, be careful of doing good works before men. Is he contradicting himself? No. Jesus is... He's giving a different emphasis. In Matthew 5.16, He is saying that men will see our good works, works born of the Holy Spirit in us, works of justice and mercy and purity and kindness and love, and that will lead them to become one of those who glorify God, who repent of their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus. What is Jesus teaching here now in the next verses? He's highlighting the danger Of our public ministry. He's saying, Be careful. Be careful. There's compassion for the poor, and that was instituted by God. It's a distinguishing characteristic for God's people in both the Old and New Testament. He's not saying that we should not do acts of kindness. He's getting to the heart of why we do what we do. Leviticus 25, verse 35. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. And right now, everybody who has a brother is saying, oh, I hope he's not listening right now. Oh, no, he's got a verse. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God, that your brother may live beside you. Instead of die, live and not die. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, the giver of all good things, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him And lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Do not harden your heart. Don't become desensitized by those in need. Proverbs 19 and verse 17, whoever is generous to the poor, listen to this now, lends to the, who's the recipient? The Lord. And he will repay him for his deed. You're generous to the poor, and you give it, remember I said it a few weeks ago, when we do something for someone, do it in the name of Jesus. If you're giving to them, don't give it in your own honor or your own name, give it in the name of Jesus as unto the Lord, as if he were the one receiving it, and he's actually saying, I will receive that, and I will repay you according to your deed, Proverbs 29, verse 7. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor, a wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Uh, paraphrase A righteous man, he looks around and he's concerned about those who are, who are poor. A wicked man has the blinders on and doesn't care about poor people, he doesn't care about those in need, he doesn't care about those outside of his and his own. He's blinded to it and he couldn't care less. And the Bible says that's a wicked person. The New Testament, the Apostle of Love, John, he writes, first John 3 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet, here's the here's what this hardening of the heart closes his heart against him. Shut down your pity. Shut down your emotions. Shut down your empathy. Shut down the concern. If I was in that situation, what do I truly need? You close your heart against him. And John says, tell me how the love of God abides in that person. How is that person a child of the Father when they just look the other way every time a need surfaces and someone has a need, whether it be a spiritual or a physical need? And it's not saying that the, the answer to every need is handouts. That's, that's not what it's saying. Mercy is when we come along someone and we engage in the struggle and it's not just giving money. Truly helping someone in need. It requires a sacrificial heart and life so let's talk about judaism because that's what jesus is speaking into at this time two thousand years ago the religion of the israelites it was centered in jerusalem judaism by this time had fully developed really three areas of a very organized system of a religious life one was alms giving the other was prayer and fasting those three areas and jesus is going to talk about those In Judaism, almsgiving was a religious duty. It wasn't an option. If you just feel generous, you know, I felt like being generous. I have some left over. It was commanded. It was, this is what we do. You will do this if you're going to be a good follower of Israel and Israel's God. Now, Islam has five pillars. They've added two to these three, and it consists of of a religion that is very visible, It makes an impact in the community. it's, It's noticeable. We understand that in the world we live in, philanthropy. People who are wealthy, often celebrities, and they see a cause or they see a need, and they help that cause, but generally, not always, what follows that type of giving? Any ideas? What happens when somebody who is uber wealthy gives money to a cause? What accompanies that? The press, the the cameras, the videos, the social media, the PR that goes out, the company donated to this program, to this need, to that. And if there were no publicity, how much philanthropy would there really be? How's that going to help me? It's not forget it. If the tax deduction is removed to help out a cause, how many people will then give away their money? If the tax deduction is taken away from giving in the church, how does that affect your giving? That's a a barometer. Check that out. Say, well, it doesn't make any difference. Good indication. It's all about the heart. Getting to the heart. So Jesus will be addressing the areas of alms giving, prayer, fasting here in Matthew 6. Notice beloved he did not say do not practice righteousness. Period. No, he didn't say that. He did not say do not practice righteousness before others. Let's all go underground and covert. Nothing public. You know, no public praying, no public giving, and no public fasting. Don't let anybody know and if you do it's all That's not what he's saying. He said, don't do these areas of public ministry so that people see you and praise you, motivated by what others think about you. Michael J. Wilkins, he gives a helpful comment. He says, the public religious life is crucial for the development of one's spirituality because it is here, okay? So we say worship, walk, and work together. That's what we do as a church corporately worship. It's here that the people of God gather for worship, gain instruction in the Scripture, and encourage one another in personal piety. But this arena is also hazardous because public religious practices can be carried out primarily to be seen by people. Danger. Warning. Check your heart. And Jesus also says in this warning, consider the lost. Consider what is at stake. There is no lasting reward for self-centered piety. Doing what we do, religiously, simply to be seen by others. Jesus says, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Consider the loss. Jesus is talking about the temporary applause. A current popular singer Embrace that publicize that i live for the applause probably she is thinking i'm i'm showing affirmation of my fan base i live for your applause what happens when you can't be together where what's your reason to live then who will live forever so you're you're putting a a shelf life on your purpose and your substance of life and that is I have a reason to live as long as people are applauding me and as soon as the applause stops and they like someone else more than they like me, they don't buy my they don't follow me, they drop me by the wayside, then what is my reason for living? It's gone. Let's evaluate why we meet the needs of others. There's three possible realms. Why do we do what we do? One is self-centered motivation. A person can say, I enjoy helping, that's why I do this. You know, I heard there was a need and I like doing that, so I enjoy doing that, so I will help do that. Oh, I like to serve, so I'll do that. I feel good when I help other people. I, I saw this happen even this week. Famous... NBA, all-star, retired, and he simply did something good and he didn't intend for it to get out and it got out. His comment is, I enjoy doing that. I like to make people smile. He wasn't doing that for applause. He was embarrassed by that to some degree. There's also a need-centered motivation. How many of us when we're watching are and a commercial comes on and it's just this most pitiful animal, you know, and this poor animal. And the music is just is pulling at every heartstring you have. You didn't even know you had heartstrings and yet just played. Or children in poverty or these people, this people group and, and it's sad music and it's sad and, and you just, they just move you to, you don't know those people, you don't know those animals, but you are moved. I have to help and I have to meet that need. It's a need-centered motivation. Oh, I felt guilty, and I saw them serving alone, so I, I, I decided I would help them, inside the church, outside of the church. That help is great; it's needed, but it's not what Jesus is after here. That's short-sighted and deficient for a Christian, for a disciple. There is a third area, not self-centered, not need-centered, but God-centered, motivated by God at the center. That. This is what it sounds like. When I think about what God has done for me in Christ, when I think about the road that I was on and someone came and they shared the gospel with me and my deepest, greatest need was met in Christ, his cross, his burial and resurrection, I'm just moved to compassion and compassion is not compassion unless it results in action. It's a God-centered motivation. This produces immediate help with eternal dividends. A.B. Bruce, he says it this way. He says, we are to show when tempted to hide and hide when we are tempted to show. You get what he's saying? There's times when we know I should meet this need. I should step up. I should do something. I should represent my Lord right here, right now. And I'm tempted to hide my faith. I'm tempted to blend in and be like everybody else around the table. But I need to show I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ. Then there's times when we're tempted to, oh no, no, you need to hide and say with John the Baptist, Jesus must increase. And it's okay. I want to decrease. There's a temporary applause. And Jesus is saying, but there's an eternal reward. The reward that God delights in giving to his children is that he has given his best in Jesus. And through Christ, we have been given the best gift. And then through his children, he gives that gift of salvation and mercy and kindness and help to the entire planet. That's the aim of the Great Commission. Christian generosity is Christ-centered. It led the way in the beginning of Christianity where hospitals were born, founded. Orphanages were founded. Institutions for education were founded. Do you know where those came from? It came from the church. No one else cared. Christians did. It's attested through, throughout history that Jesus changed the world like no other. And when other people were leaving, when there was a medical crisis, believers who were secure in their eternity and they're secure in God went into pandemics because they had nothing really to ultimately lose. They had everything, everything, everything to give for those who do do not know Christ to gain. Do you hear the difference? And Jesus gives a warning here. He's saying, warning, why do you do what you do? Paul emphasized this best gift ever given for us in Romans 8.32. Speaking of Jesus and how the Father gave Christ, He, and he's talking about the Father, who did not spare His own Son, Jesus, but gave Him, Christ, up for us all. How will He not also with Him, with Jesus graciously give us all things he's given the best gift he wrote to the corinthians and years ago we went through a study on grace giving second corinthians 8 second corinthians 9 and paul sums up his whole teaching to this rich church the corinthian church had wealth upon wealth and they were stingy they were selfish he sums it all up. What's our greatest motivation for giving? Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You can't even describe the gift of Jesus. Do you know, 15 years I've been here preaching, have I yet to suffice the description of Jesus? If I'm here another 115 years, will I have better described, fully described Jesus? No. He's inexhaustible. The inexpressible gift Of Jesus Christ, beloved, we can never outgive God. You can never outgive God. Warning. Jesus taught us to heed the warning. And the second lesson is observe the contrast. There's a contrast between followers of Christ and really everybody else. That's the way Jesus intended. This is counterculture. The contrast is this. Be generous with zero need for recognition. Be generous followers of Christ with zero need for recognition. Why do we do what we do? Why do you do what you do? Jesus uses an illustration the hypocrites. In verse 2, we don't have all the information of what they did in their processes of giving. But Jesus is highlighting that whatever they did, they were conspicuous in their giving. What do we learn and what do we observe about these hypocrites, all right? Hypocrite is a it's a word that was borrowed from plays. They would gather in arena And there would be an actor, and the actor would have a mask. The actor would go off stage. The actor would come back on stage wearing a different mask. And the question is, who is that person behind the mask? And it wouldn't be revealed until after the curtain call, oh, that's who was playing the role. And Jesus is saying the religious leaders of his day, they are hypocrites. They're playing a role, but that's not who is behind the mask. The mask, all the good deeds, all these good things, prayer and fasting. But behind the mask, it's not good. It's not pleasing to the Lord. These individuals love the attention given to them for religious activity. You know this saying, oh, that person, they just like to always toot their own horn. They just always blow their own horn. You know, they always have to you know one-up somebody in talking. They always have to say, well, I did. Well, that was nice you did, but did you hear what I... You know, I'm really suffering. Yeah, but I've suffered more. Really? What did they do? Sounding of trumpets, Jesus says, brought attention to their acts of giving. And as we said earlier, in our day we have press and social media. In their day, you know, you need to play that a little louder. People are still talking out here. Okay, now now everybody's quiet. Here comes my gift. Yeah, I I converted it all into coins. Ching, ching, ching. Oh, we're going to do this all day. Ching. Those are pennies. Ching, ching. Like, how long are we going to do this? Oh, I'm still giving. They did this in the synagogues. Those are local communities of worship where they would gather and there's a need. And, oh, here's, you know... Brother so-and-so, and he's going to meet the need. And everybody can just, oh, he's so amazing, and he meets the need. And then they get out in the streets, you know, in the religious community, out in the streets on public display. Stop everything. Stop everything. Here's someone in need. Don't worry. I'm here now. And I'm going to help. Wait, wait. Got a good angle here? Got a game? Okay. I'm going to help. Th- we got enough people watching? I'm going to help you now. Not yet. I'm going to help you. Wait, no, not that much. Here you go. Put that back. It was all drama. We laugh, but Jesus is exposing them. They were giving for the applause of men. They were giving so that people would say, Oh, did you see what they did? That is amazing. Oh, that is so... Oh." And Jesus is exposing them because they did what they did to be praised, Jesus says, by others. That's the word doxa. Doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And they flipped that around and said, actually, I was wanting that praise, that glory for me. In other words, their purpose statement for their life would be like this. I exist... For the glory of me. And I want to reach other people so that they will glory in me. And I want to connect them with other people so that they will glory in me and equip them so that ultimately they'll grow and they will serve, here it is, wait for it, me. And if they don't, I'll find another church to go to. I'll find another place of worship. Love, we can see what Jesus is saying about these individuals here, but we sound like this when we get upset if somebody doesn't say thank you quickly enough for whatever we did. They didn't meet our standards. So, you know, they sent me a thank you card, but the thank you card was this big, and I think it should have been that big. They only wrote a few words in the thank you card instead of you know all of their how great I am to give. We sound like them when we. Give up serving. We quit serving in some aspect or some ministry because somebody offended us. Somebody didn't do what we thought they did. That's it. I quit. Let somebody else do that ministry. Turn over one book in your New Testament Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 12. The religious legalists, beloved, they pay no attention to the heart. The heart is their last concern. They focus on the external. They focus on their standards. They focus on what's important to them, their rules. And Jesus is here stating that if you do what you do for the applause of men, then as soon as you receive that commendation, that word of praise, that pat on the back, that applause, then He's saying this, it's paid in full. He's using a term that if you are doing what you do, singing, preaching, teaching, serving, shoveling, mowing, whatever it is that you do, changing diapers, and you do it for the attaboy, pat on the back, as soon as the applause is done, you're paid up, settled, and it's actually account closed. Paid in full, done. Nothing more coming. That's very short lived and not long enjoyed. Who wants to live and serve like that? And yet we are all tempted to do that. I'll get around to serving. I'll get around to doing that. I'm busy. I have this. I have that. I, Convince me enough, Pastor. You know, twist my ear enough. Get my, make me feel need centered enough, and then I'll serve. I'll give. I'll do. I have nothing in the cupboard to convince anybody to do anything beyond Jesus became flesh and lived the life that you can never live and he died the death that you deserve to die and he was buried and he rose again and he's coming one day and you will stand before him and he is coming with his saints to reward. I have nothing else to motivate anybody with nor myself. If that doesn't motivate, that only motivates believers, beloved. And it motivates us for a lifetime. In Mark chapter 12, this is an account of, you can see what's happening in this scene and how Jesus really turns it completely upside down. Mark 12, verse 38. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogue and places of honor at feasts, who devour, here's what's behind the mask, widows' houses, and for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money in the offering box. This whole scene, many rich people put in large sums, Notice Jesus doesn't say, and you go do likewise. I've heard this sermon used to say, you know, to to, to work up more offerings from people because the woman gave everything and you should give everything. Jesus doesn't say that the setting of this widow woman in the context of rich people, religious people who are devouring widows in their houses. And he says, did you see the widow who is coming and giving everything in hopes that she has merited God's favor and that she can earn the blessing and she is here giving and you missed it all. And she gave with nothing left to give. 13.1 And as he came out of the temple... One of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones that were donated and what wonderful, what wonderful buildings that were built and paid for by rich people, not widows giving to mites. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Uh, yeah, Lord, that's what I was just saying to you. There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. It's all coming down. This whole system that misses the widow. They should have said, No, 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 sister. You keep that, and here, let's meet your need because God has blessed us to be a blessing to you. Instead, they were like, You should be. You sure that's all you have? So, what is then the application for the disciples of Jesus? We are taught by Jesus to be generous in our giving. Thus, when you give to the needy. He says it two times in the same. He's intending for his disciples to give to meet the needs of others. The gospel cannot go global if people do not give. Thus, when you give to the needy. Jesus expected his disciples to be generous toward those in need. He says, but... There's going to be a difference here. Stop. There's going to be something different about my followers compared to those religious hypocrites. When you give to the needy, Jesus expects his disciples to share in the same way they have graciously received forgiveness, mercy, grace, and every good thing. Share in like manner. The writer of Hebrews applied the gospel to Christian giving. Hebrews 13 and verse 16: Do not neglect to do good and to share with to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We're able to meet the need. James, the half-brother of Jesus, as he he, he it sounds like in James he got fed up with people saying, I'm a Christian. I believe. I have checked all the boxes theologically. I am a Christian. And he's saying, um, where does this Christianity hit the real world? You have all the right things to say. You have all the right everything religion-wise, but your life is like behind the mask. You're different. Something's wrong. If you belong to God, you're going to be changed and people will be affected by the change that God has done in you. And he writes, James 1.27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their infliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James is not saying do this for salvation. He's saying live this way from salvation. If you truly have been born again, then it's going to bear fruit in your life that is never ending. We're going to make a difference in the community around us, beloved, not because we have to, but because God has graciously allowed us the opportunity to. So give secretly. Jesus exhorts his disciples to give quietly without fanfare to meet the needs of others so he says do not let your right hand know what the left is doing what does he mean I mean I lost my keys yesterday I don't know what my right hand or left hand did with the keys I had them I got here this morning how am I going to get in I don't have the keys I have to find my keys Is Jesus talking about dementia setting in and you just forgot? You know, sometimes your right hand just goes out there and does things. I didn't know it was doing that. Slapping people. I didn't know. It's not my fault. Left hand, right hand. Is that what he's talking about? No. He's saying this. Don't keep the list on everything you've given away to other people. Well, I I baked a casserole for you when you had surgery. And then I was waiting and I only got donuts. And I was, you know. Aren't we like this? I shoveled your driveway like seven times, and you never said thank you. I'm just, I'm just, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you doing what you're doing? Here's an idea keep the list of the blessings. I have a few file folders because my right hand has forgotten the left hand and where I put drawers. I have file folders for 25 years of cards of appreciation from people in ministry. Don't make me find them, but I find them every now and then when I'm going through a filing cabinet. Like, oh, there's a really fat file there. And I just go back and I just read what people have written over the last 25 years. Keep that. Don't keep the list of, no, you owe me. And I did. And I was there and you weren't there as early as I was, you must not love God like I love God. We've been talking about this in our, our marriage seminar on Wednesday nights, man. This last week, I'll be honest, I told Ginger, I said, did you email this guy like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and just like tell everything about me that he could put in this seminar? And, and as soon as it started Wednesday night, I said, see, I told you. Because <laughs> uh, it just... So true of the areas of our lives. Listen, when I was in India in 2011, walking in a Buddhist temple, the picture is going to come up on the screen, and I'm walking in, I look at the side, I'm like, wait a second, this isn't service times, this is the donor list. This is the chief donors list. On this list, you can even find out who donated the Buddha statue, it's on there. And I was thinking, like, what in the world? And then I had to think, oh, wait a second. I've been in churches, including ours, where there are little plaques around the place and there were plaques on the pews and there were plaques of I donated and can I get a plaque on that? Like, is that why you're giving? I'll donate the gold cross if you put my name on it. It's indirect disobedience to Jesus. So little by little, I've been for 15 years Full disclosure, I'm taking all the plaques off. They just, they just disappear. Why? Because Jesus said, don't do that. And if, that, if a person gave for the plaque, done. There's your award. There's your reward. It's all over now. We don't want to do that. Just give generously like God has given to you and to me. John Calvin says it this way. By this expression, he means that we ought to be satisfied with having God for our only witness. It's enough. God is enough. So give in secret. Be quiet about your own giving. Do you know in a, in a church that we served at previously in youth ministry, there was a man who gave. He he knew there was a need in the youth ministry, and he gave a substantial amount to meet the need. And he would have been absolutely livid and embarrassed if that would have ever gotten out of who gave the gift to meet the need. A true giver. Do you understand, beloved, that we're experiencing this in the Grace Forward campaign? That God is graciously doing that in our congregation? That there is generosity that can be explained by nothing other than obedience to do what Jesus is teaching here to the glory of God alone. Do you know how humbling that is? Do you know how that fills our hearts? With joy and gratitude? Do you know how that pleases the Lord? Jesus taught us, heed the warning, observe the contrast. And then the third lesson is just that last part of verse 4. Embrace the promise. Embrace the promise. The promise is this, blessing comes from your Father in heaven. Beloved, your Father sees everything. He sees Everything. And he is merciful. He sees all the wrong that we do. He sees all the wrong that I do. He sees everything that I do that is good, but my motive is wrong. This isn't just, I hope you get this lesson. I'm a disciple too. I need forgiveness and mercy as well. He sees everything we do that is wrong. And he's not running away. And he's not abandoning us. Your father sees all that you do that is right. All that we do that is righteous. And from a right motivation, he sees it all. And two scripture verses that have encouraged me throughout the years. As people, loved ones that have influenced me, discipled me, been with me in ministry and abandoned the truth and abandoned the faith. First Timothy five twenty four and 25. Paul writes to the younger Timothy, he says, the sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also, good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. What's Paul saying to Timothy? He's saying, yeah, Timothy, sometimes people get found out and they get exposed for being a fake and a fraud and a phony in this lifetime. And they were a pastor and they were an author and they were a speaker. They did all these things and you found out they weren't who they claimed to be and what we thought them to be. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it happens after they die and nothing is hidden from God's sight. But he's saying, hey, Timothy, remember, yeah, sometimes you see good things happen Nothing slides by. Nothing slips by. The omnipotent eye of God. He sees everything. His omniscience. He sees everything. And He is the rewarder. So be faithful to Him and don't worry about the applause of men. Your Father sees everything and your Father rewards generously. What then is our exceeding great reward? How does God reward? And you read this, don't you want to say, well, how does this happen? That your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So there you are and you're giving on the app. And no one's noticing, no one's watching. You're giving online. You slide something in the box. It's not for a fanfare. There's no bells, there's no trumpets and whistles. There's not a scale. How much you give You know, raises the scale. Woo! Red flag, that was a good one. Nothing like that. You just give, the father sees in secret soul, tell me wise, how does he then reward There's really two ways. One way is a need is met. And we get to enjoy being part of meeting the needs of people, physical and spiritual, from here to the other side of the planet. I was on the phone this week with the bandas. Uh, Michelle is here in the States for a little bit. And I was telling her, "I, I want to get back to Africa. I want to get back and be with those pastors and be with that family. Those kids are going to be grown up and out of the house before I get back. They just showed a picture. They shared a picture. Their kids are grown up. I'm like, wait a second. Michaela was like this little when I was there, and now she's, what, taking driver's training or something? I mean, come on. I've got to get back there. But when is this going to happen in the middle of everything going on? But our heart, how are we going to meet the need? That's one way that God blesses. A need is met. Yeah, guys, go from this church to meet a need. There's a blessing that God is using to meet the need, from here to the other side of this planet. Can I ask you this morning? Have you had your greatest need met in the Gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you admitted your spiritual poverty, where you stopped giving the religious resume? I, I was I was baptized. I was this. I was confirmed. I did all these things. I'm I'm on this. I'm I'm fine. Have you admitted to God, I am a sinner? I deserve judgment. Save me. Have you had your spiritual need, your greatest need met? Is God using you to help others have this need met? And the other way that God rewards us generously is we get God. Think about this. Here's where we find the greatest joy. Do you have Christ, and is he enough for you? For if you and I have Christ, then we are able to actually be able to do what Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your life free from love of money. Paul wrote to Timothy, love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, love of money is the root of all evil. And be content with what you have, for he has said... You have me. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You have me. What are you lacking if you have God? If you have Christ, then you have everything. And how many times have I said it over the years? There's one relationship that you and I can totally trust and never lose, and it's the relationship with Jesus Christ, a saving relationship. Do you have Christ is the question. And if so, then take Jesus' words to heart. Heed the warning. Beware of doing good deeds to be seen by men. Observe the contrast. He intends there to be a contrast. He has not designed us, saved us, called us, redeemed us to blend in. Be generous with zero need for recognition and embrace the promise because blessing comes and will come from your Father in heaven. So if we want to sum it all up, Right here, you and I can live for the praise of God or we can live for praise of me, but you can't do both and neither can I. It's one or the other. God is exalted and glorified or I am exalted and glorified. You can't do both. Let's live for the glory and for the honor of Jesus and be kingdom-minded, generous. Let's stand together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and thank you for your son as we respond to this word and we just pray back to you, Lord, we need your help. We cannot live this way on our own. We cannot do this in our own strength. We need your spirit. We thank you for your son. And then we would pray, oh Lord, that you will help us. Enable us by your spirit to be generous Generous to those in our family, in our church family, to the cause of Christ. Let us help. Use us to meet the need. Lord, we trust you in our own lives, in the life and ministry of our church. We trust you. You will supply all our need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So Father, you give and you withhold in every way that pleases you. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust you implicitly, explicitly, wholeheartedly trust you, Father, and forgive us when we don't. Thank you that you're merciful. Save those who are lost and strengthen those who are saved by your word and spirit today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at MyGraceChurch.com Please subscribe and follow us at MyGraceChurch It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like and share this message We want you to always remember that you are loved